just for me personally trying to have more joy within my activism and focus on more joy and things that spark that for me because it is sustainable joy is sustainable and we can't go on without it because it can be draining work this is climate curious the podcast for people who are bored scared or confused by climate change I'm Marion Pasha, the director and curator at Telex London and the co-host of this podcast, alongside the amazing Ben. Hi, I'm Ben Hurst, activist and advocate exploring what positive masculinities can look like and self-confessed climate normie. So for those of you who don't live in London or in the UK, you might not be aware, but uh, we're facing, I think, uh, the first time in decades, maybe, um, a summer of a lot of strike action. So yeah. we've just come in London. We've just come through strike action on public transport and on across England on the railways. We're looking at strike action in the airports. I think even like doctors are thinking about striking, which yeah. I think is quite unique. And so um, it's about the idea of uh, collect, collective action. So. I don't know, Ben, is this something that you... Is this like your bread and butter collection? You know, no, it's not my bread and butter. But honest, like, honest truth, the other day I did think probably for the first time in my life, why don't we all just strike? Like in the face of like a, a, cost, a massive cost of living crisis, I was like, oh yeah, that does actually make sense. I think it's the mm. first time I've understood yeah. like why people do it. <laughs> Obviously, because yeah. it, it's personally affecting me now. No, <laughs> just, I guess that there's a lot more power involved when everybody's actually united in fighting for whatever cause it is that they're trying to trying to win or trying to achieve. <laughs> Podcast done, guys. See you later. <laughs> so that is probably a very good intro <laughs> to our wonderful guest uh, this week. We're joined by Dominique Palmer, who is a climate activist, mm-hmm. youth activist, social justice, climate justice activist. Uh, I read in your bio also aspiring actress, model, oh. host, speaker. I think the list goes on. I, li- I was reading through all the things you've spoken at and I have to admit, I ran out of time in my, in my <laughs> reading through the list. Um, but we're so excited to have you here. And I'm actually really excited to talk about this because I, I kind of grew up really believing in unions and um, the power of collective action mm. and seeing it and then just hearing about what like the Thatcher era was like for my parents and 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 feeling like there's some moments there of real solidarity, but then it kind of all getting muddled and people just getting a bit upset that they can't go to work on time. Mm. And so I'm excited to talk about the idea of collective action in terms of the climate. But before we get into all of that, can you can you just tell us a little bit more about you for for our listeners? Yeah. Thank you for having me on here. You are so welcome. <laughs> So I'm a youth climate justice activist, speaker, writer and student in the UK. I wear a lot of hats, so I do a lot of things at various times. I'm mainly an organiser in Fridays for Future International, which is a global youth movement for climate justice, mm-hmm. a coordinating Climate Live, which is about uniting music and climate together to engage, educate and empower people for climate action. And I'm a member of an organisation called Bad Activist Collective, which is trying to dismantle the idea of perfectionism within the climate movement. I want to ask you, as someone who is so immersed in, in the climate movement, how how you got to this point? Because I think that's really interesting to me. And then I want to ask you about collective action. But first, I want to know kind of what's been your journey. There's a, there's a, some pretty awesome organisations that you're involved in. How did you, how did you get here? Give us your superhero origin yeah. story. <laughs> Give it to us. We want well, to know. 
Here's my origin story. <laughs> I really never imagined myself being a climate activist at all, but I was a bit interested in like sustainability and things. When I was younger, I went vegan and tried to do like different like individual actions I could do. And it's not really until 2019 that I really tapped into the climate movement. And that was because where I was living at the time in South London, in Lewisham, I was seeing these like posters around my area about how air pollution was really affecting our community mm. where we were living and I went to the local like Jamaican restaurant one day and I was talking to this lady just you know just about general things and she was talking about how her child was also suffering from asthma and how air pollution was making it worse and this is something that my younger brother had had previously asthma and was facing that and I kind of started to collect the dots about how the climate and ecological emergency was like right there and I could see it in my community and it was affecting people today and that's around when more climate actions around the world started happening and Greta started striking outside parliament and I saw okay people are doing stuff about this Mm. so that's something that I can do. Because at first, you know, I was incredibly overwhelmed and thinking, what can I possibly do about this massive, massive thing that's happening? And I just started learning more. And then I saw a climate strike happening in May and I went to it. And then I never looked back because the energy was incredible. And I thought, okay, there's real power here. There's real energy here. We can actually do something about this. And then started pushing intersectionality and the climate movement. So climate strikes in the same year I found myself at the UN Climate Change Conference. It was just wild. That's my origin story. (laughs) So you may not know this about me, Ben. I mean, you definitely know. But my first memory of life is being at a protest. Really? Um, I just remember being very upset because they wouldn't let me hold the really big sign. I was three, (laughs) so obviously they're not going to let me hit the side of a banner. (laughs) I really wanted to, and I remember being really upset. Um, But I, listening to you now, I'm kind of reminded of this idea. Listening to you makes me think about how something that's so valuable to feel part of something is to actually get out and be with other people Mm. like i think sometimes these big big issues can feel so overwhelming because they feel isolating Mm -hmm. and actually the power it is a double-edged sword because it can protests can be very overwhelming it can be Mm. feel like it's not working even in the moment it can be really upsetting in the protests i've been part of but Mm. there's also this power of being with others and do you find that that sense of community is important to you do you think that helped kind of taking you from like oh this is something maybe i care about to actually i mean doing all this awesome stuff and dedicating so much time to it a hundred percent i would go as far as say community is really what's kept me going and just guided me through this movement i think without it and without that space to go to and without those people that you're standing alongside and learning together and you know, they, that's really becomes another family to you in a way as well. And what it really has for me, like the people I've met have become another family to me. And that's really what's kept me going because the issue can feel so big and so overwhelming. And you're just going, going, going and trying to apply pressure to this and this campaign and then this. And it really just allows you to take a moment and step back and have those connections with other people. Yeah. I completely agree. I was just going to say, maybe a, a counterintuitive point, but like I, like the conversation around community, I always find so interesting because I feel like I've hit this point in my life where I'm like so tired of people. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I feel like there's this overwhelming sense of like, 
actually I'd rather just do this by myself I, and obviously like that comes with the tension of like you actually can't do anything by yourself <laughs> like individual action um, I think is so difficult and also so overwhelming um, that you really do need community in terms of the work that you're doing at the moment what is I th like I think that this conversation can can become like so broad and so huge mm. and there's so many issues um and I know like like I said before when we met you the first time um you were organizing some or part of a group that was organizing some direct action mm -hmm. I think it was around Stock Cambo right yeah um and obviously that is like a has been a massive success at this point <laughs> how does that how does that process feel for you like, let's you let's feel? tell people what stop cambo is primer what is stop cambo look at me yeah. talking about things like i, I know, know i love are. it Imagine. i've come so I far my it. goodness a great intro <laughs> <laughs> yeah stop cambo is a campaign organization focusing on stopping all new fossil fuel projects specifically oil and gas projects in the uk so the hashtag stop cambo is for the cambo oil field mm. and that time I met you at Countdown, that was a protest outside because the CEO Shell was there and there was, we held a protest outside about the new Cambo oil and gas field. And mm. um, this was after my friend and fellow activist Lauren McDonald like called out CEO Shell on stage. And then we had a walkout in the building and then walked outside and had a protest. And now the Cambo oil field has been paused and there's been Stop Cambo involved, there's been 350 as well involved and and Friends of the Earth. And it's just been so incredible to get to a point where it's like, okay, there has been an impact. So we want to go the full way and have it stopped, but it's also like, we're actually making an impact and that power really is there and mm -hmm. our voices have been heard. So it's, that was an incredible day. It was such a happy day. I remember just like phoning people up and be like, yeah, like it's actually pause, like we're actually getting somewhere we're doing it. Wow. That was amazing. I mean, it's so true because sometimes when you're a campaigner or an activist, your whole life is spent trying to stop bad things happening, yeah. mm -hmm. not make good things happen. So yeah. you don't see it often, right? Because mm -hmm. if you're trying, like, you don't see the things you're stopping because they don't happen, so you yeah. stop them. And yeah. it can be hard to, like, feel like you've won or even made any incremental change. Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty awesome. That day at Countdown, I think the thing that really struck me, and I don't know how it felt for you, but it reminded me that this is not actually easy. Mm -hmm. I remember... And, and you know for anyone listening who's interested Ted posted the whole session online so you can actually go watch the for the whole hour from the beginning of this let's call it panel mm -hmm. to through what happens at, you know um, yeah. uh, with the walkout and then also what happens after the thing that really struck me was a reminder that this is not easy yeah. I felt this this real for the first time in a while I felt this real overwhelming sense of I don't know I can't even I don't even I can't even put a word to it. I remember mm. Ben and you and I sitting together and I almost felt frozen in space in place yeah yeah um and I think that maybe people it, it, people feel like I don't know maybe maybe I just had forgotten because people make mm. it seem so easy but yeah. actually it's mm -hmm. and it is lovely to find community and be in it but there's another mm -hmm. side to it right which is quite it can be difficult at yeah. times. Yeah, it's re a really interesting experience. How did you find it? How did how did you find it? Was it just a regular Tuesday? Yeah, just no. a, every day, every no, day. Sitting. I think that's a great like 
point that you guys have made because I mean, literally the night before that happened, we were up to about 2 a.m. in this like random room in the Ted Countdown Hotel. And <laughs> um, there was so much anxiety around it. So many people right. like, okay, is this gonna work? Is it gonna work out? And should we do it like this? Are we going to get tackled to the ground? Like, and obviously for, you know, Lauren as well, like that was an incredibly like big moment. And actually right before we did the walkout and um, to where we were going outside, I was like so anxious about what would happen that I was like shaking, even trying to like hold the banner. And I think those kind of moments aren't really spoken about mm. as much that those moments can be difficult. And I think it also places activists on this pedestal of like, they're these like beings who can just, you know, do it all like bulletproof, like nothing yeah. brings them down. Like this is, this is just how it goes. And so it prevents a lot of people getting in because they're like, okay, like that's, you need to be perfect. You need to be like this, mm. you need to, yeah, you just have to be kind of unstoppable when that's really not the case. Mm. There were so many different emotions that I experienced that day. Yeah. Because like as a society and a culture, like we do market our activists, especially like our young activists mm. as like fearless warriors of change. I, mm. I sometimes feel like we just pin all of our hopes onto like these individuals and yeah. kind of like, just do it for us. And mm. then we can all celebrate when we win. Um, and yeah, you're right. Like we don't talk about that process of like going through the moment mm. enough. Mm -hmm. um, Cause I imagine it is petrifying. <laughs> I imagine, <laughs> I'm not sure, but. I think this is the thing about being in the, in the mm. face of collective action. Mm. I think it was like a tidal wave hit that room. Yeah. I don't think anything else could have done that. Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's really, yeah, it really stick, like strikes with you. That's not the right word, but it really like resonates. I think yeah, it's quite powerful how much like one action can kind of create that ripple effect, like you said. And there were a lot of people who spoke to us after who were like, they also felt kind of like frozen. They couldn't walk out for this reason or they weren't sure what to do or they did in the end. But I also think just it just reflects on a larger scale of just how much other people can be impacted by different actions. Mm. And I think that's a really powerful mm. thing. Well, I think it inspired us on this podcast, Massively. all of us, mm. to be, because it, it started a series of conversations, I think, mm. around the role of oil companies and executives mm. in the conversation. And I think, yeah. I don't know how you were, Ben, but for me, my background is human rights. So like, mm. if we're talking about human rights, I know. I got it. I know the mm -hmm. I know the playing field. For example, you don't expect to invite Saudi Arabia to a human rights conference and expect yeah. them to say anything mm -hmm. meaningful or take any action. Of course, mm -hmm. but I was feeling like this sense of, oh, but maybe we do need to involve them. Yeah, maybe we yeah, do yeah. need to give them a platform. I don't know. I'm, uh, you know, like this sense of like, am I being naive or whatever? And what that moment crystallized for me was like, no. We're not being naive, actually. Mm -hmm. Like platforming these the, these kinds of individuals from these companies, mm -hmm. who who you know, then from all the other conversations that came after that moment, mm -hmm. um, you know, don't tell the truth, aren't being held accountable. Yeah. It is just a PR piece. Um, it became very crystal for us as a podcast as to where we stand on this. Mm -hmm. So I think, like you said, you never know where the impact that action is going to have mm -hmm. on the people in the room or mm -hmm. beyond. Mm -hmm. It's really great to hear that, actually. <laughs> well, it was really great that you did it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, I'm wondering, like, from your perspective, what does it feel like to get to the end of something and be like, mm -hmm. oh, we we were successful there? Like, is, mm -hmm. is it like a... 
because I don't know, I can only imagine what the feeling is. Like part of me thinks it must feel like, oh yeah, like elation. And then part of me also feels like it must be a weird like moment of shifting in terms of like purpose. And like you spent so much time focusing on one thing mm -hmm. and now you don't have to focus on that thing anymore. Maybe you need to shift your focus elsewhere. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, that's a great point because it really, there really is like that, the two sides. So I kind mm. of feel like when we get to a point of like success or like a moment where we finally achieve what we wanted to, I'll give a few examples in a moment. It's kind of like, okay, we, we've gotten here and that's amazing. But then also, is that enough? Have we achieved right. everything we wanted to? And where do we really go from here? So I remember in 2019, there was the climate strikes in September. And in the UK, for example, we got over 350,000 people on the streets. So it's like, okay, this is incredible. And then Parliament announced a, a climate emergency. It's like, okay, like we are, we're really getting somewhere right now. But I think for me, it's been really important to kind of put it in its context and see the impact, it, impact it's had there rather than looking on the big, like the massive scale yeah. of climate action in like the global the global world essentially and also like the the little wins like in climate live where we held concerts in 20 countries and we brought people together for the climate which was incredible and i'm like okay that's also a win engaging people and yeah. getting new people involved is something that should be celebrated more as a win mm. every podcast needs a go that's greatest of all time and ours is the global bank city City is Telex London and Climate Curious's headline partner and has been with us every step of the way on this podcast, supporting our vision and encouraging us to be courageous and adventurous with our ideas. Instead of your typical boring ad, we actually thought you might be more interested to hear about some of the initiatives City has played a part in. With the support of the City Foundation, the British Asian Trust provides specialised business training to 600 young entrepreneurs so they can earn a sustainable income. For example... Faria, a young woman facing barriers to independence, took the digital acceleration course and was able to launch a micro-enterprise online and on social media. It's great to see projects like this supporting female education and encouraging financial independence, which helps build resilience to the impacts of climate change. Nice one, City. Thank you for making this podcast possible. Now, back to the show. Yeah, I mean, when I think about Stop Cambo, I wonder if... It feels like you need to have that first win mm -hmm. and not and value it, but then it mm -hmm. kind of does just open up the like okay, like now now let's dream bigger, let's mm -hmm. do more. I wonder if you feel like going back to this idea of collective action or, or being in the in community. Do you think it helps you see or be close to or what's I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but be more solution focused rather mm -hmm. than being more problem focused? being in these mm -hmm. movements? I think it can really depend where you're at in the movement and what journey you're on. Mm -hmm. Because for me, until COP26, I was mainly, I think, problem focused, um, stopping things and, you know, on that kind of like fast pace, we need to stop this, we need to stop this. Um, and not looking too much at like the solutions, like my vision of the future either. And not taking the wins as they came. I think I didn't do that as much when I definitely first started out as everything's quite like new and fast paced and it's all like urgent and it's now and there's this crisis and it's like, we have to do this and there's this and you know, everything. I think after COP26, after we had like a lot of actions there. Yeah, like how mm -hmm. do you find hope? 
Yeah, I, in the midst yeah. of struggle, yeah. Mm-hmm. I also feel I actually I have to say I also feel like one of the reasons why we've we're seeing more of a shift to solutions mm-hmm. and imagining the future and seeing what's possible is mm-hmm. because in a way we've done the work to convince people this is an emergency. Yeah, like in if that makes sense, like I it, we I guess for a while everyone thought that if we just convince people this is an emergency, something they'll take action. Change, yeah. Something yeah. will change. But now yeah. we've realised that people can realise something is wrong there's a problem and it's emergency mm-hmm. and still not do anything because there are yeah. other things standing in their way mm-hmm. and so i feel like the whole movement has started to evolve mm-hmm. so that now we have to think about solutions because mm-hmm. actually until we tell people like the better world that we want to create mm-hmm. they're not motivated towards anything they're just yeah. like yeah okay everything's on fire I still, I still have to pay like eight hundred pound electricity bill. So yeah, exactly. What, what do you want? <laughs> so I stop- guess we'll just be on fire then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. That's so why I stopped Cambo, for example, has really been creating this narrative and really pushing forward that actually, you know, acting on climate is something that's about the well-being of us as well yeah. and the planet, and that these fossil fuel CEOs and companies like lining their pockets and government action to prioritize their profits over us is actually something that's impacting people every single day when they have to you know pay these rising electricity bills and the cost of living crisis and all of the different things are intertwined we have to really push that intersectional aspect of it and push the fact that there's so many different barriers for people getting involved and just saying that there's a crisis isn't going to get people um on get more people on the streets alone mm. no I have a question, actually, because all of us are people of colour, and Ben, mm-hmm. you've spoken about this before, how mm. people in, in your community, the, your friends, have said to you, why are you doing climate stuff? Yeah. Do you mm. think that there's work, what work, what, I'm curious for both of you, what you feel like, mm-hmm. you know, what work <laughs> needs to be done. I'm, I do not I'm, know. I'm a person of colour, but I, I really have no community. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a yeah, bit yeah. of an uh, outlier, a nomad. But mm. I'm just curious to know whether there's also some work where it feels like certain communities have just been excluded and so they feel like mm. this isn't their thing anymore there are more pressing urgent matters yeah because mm. that was that was to me what stood out about your <laughs> superhero origin story was the mm. idea of like just in the local area where you yeah. lived there was something happening already mm-hmm. um and also that that was a conversation that you managed to have in a jamaican food shop because mm-hmm. i have never succeeded in having a conversation with wow. any Jamaican food shop worker <laughs> ever in my life. So yeah. it's an interesting idea of like, how do we bring those conversations to our own people? Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's like makes a big separation between like an us and them kind of mentality, mm-hmm. which is not what I mean, but like, I'm just talking now, go mm-hmm. for it. No, no, yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that one issue of like air pollution is something that a lot of black communities and black and brown communities especially across the UK have really gotten engaged in because it's something like you can see that and it's there and it's disproportionately impacting black Caribbean and African communities specifically in the UK and I also think I'm thinking back to why I wasn't as engaged when I was younger and it's like well first of all I didn't see myself reflected in the environmentalism space I saw um, being like an environmentalist and just being in nature, something that seemed very like white focused. And mm-hmm. I didn't think that was really something for me. And also that those access to those kind of green and nature spaces is something that I didn't really have when I was younger. And I think that's also a big barrier, but also trying to s- change how we're approaching um, the climate conversation and how 
you know, this, because for example, one of the really big ideas about getting into climate activism is like go on the streets and uh, go in the road and get arrested. And um, mm. that's something that's really pushed by groups such as Extinction Rebellion. And you know, as like a person of color, it's like, um, I'm not trying to no. get arrested, bro. <laughs> I'm not trying to get arrested. Actually, I think I walked out of that one. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, changing that and be like, actually, there's so many roles and different skills and so much different ways that people can get involved in activism and different groups out there that that's not something we need to focus on mm. and really again bringing the intersectional aspect into it so connecting race and connecting class into it i think will really mm. help a lot of people yeah but if you're to listening <laughs> to this fund a youth organization mm -hmm. that's a direct action that none of us we i don't think we've ever spoken about right is like mm -hmm. actually put your money where find, yeah find an yeah. organization and for, what's the name of your organization that people can fund <laughs> climate <laughs> live <laughs> um <laughs> and and i one of the things i love about this narrative and, and this conversation with you is the idea of like uh, change and evolution over time mm -hmm. and how activism for you started in one place and has mm -hmm. branched out to like multiple different places. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering like what the, as far as you know, obviously we can't mm -hmm. see into the future, but what does the future of your acti activism look like or mm -hmm. feel like for you? Like mm -hmm. are there spaces that you see yourself uh, changing your approach or like mm -hmm. communities that you want to reach that will require a different approach to the one that you've used in the mm -hmm. past? Personally for me, I, I had so much burnout from yeah, strikes and actions and policy push, like change. And I was like, I need to also engage in something that involves creativity. Mm. It really sparks my joy in something that I love. So for me, what I really want to focus on now is mainly two things, combining the arts again with climate, that more creative side. So with Climate Live, but also trying to reach into communities, like there's so much to do there that can bring people together in a way that's outside the traditional boxes of what right. is seen as like climate activism. Mm. I really want to focus on actually getting local communities, especially ones like mine, especially people of color who will be disproportionately impacted by the climate crisis and should be represented and highlighted and yeah just for me personally trying to have more joy within my activism and focus on more joy and things that spark that for me mm. because it is sustainable joy is sustainable and we can't go on without it because it can be draining work mm. it's, it's something hard that we're, we're fighting for and so it's just it's crucial so interesting <laughs> to hear um young people say like say stuff like that about joy. I feel like mm. that's something that you hear from like people in their like 70s and 80s <laughs> who have like done a lifetime of like activism yeah. and they're like, oh, I realized one day that you can't sustain it unless you are mm. sustaining yourself. Exactly. Um, and I love that idea of like, how do we find a way of doing this that like gives us life rather than like mm -hmm. drains us of everything we have. And yeah. I think art is a great way of doing that, right? Because anybody mm -hmm. can make art. It's like the one yeah. thing in the world that's like not exclusive, um, mm -hmm. where like anybody can like, even if you can't play a guitar, you can pick up a guitar and like mm -hmm. strum around until you find something or like pick up a pen or a pencil or paintbrush mm -hmm. or whatever and make something. Exactly. Um, which is a nice, yeah, a nice way of, of viewing it. I was going to say, like, it reminds me of the conversation we had a few seasons back with Kumi Nadu, yeah. who was talking all about how it's actually arts and culture is going to be the way to take climate mm. to everyone. And yeah. that it's only, well, it's actually arts and culture that change, like, societies. Mm -hmm. If you think about all the big shifts, they've very much been either led by or reflected in that. And I'm just curious to know, exactly. I, want, I want you to tell us... Um, 
I want you to tell us about like one or two really cool things you've been doing mm-hmm. in that space recently. Yeah, definitely in the arts. I just started getting involved because like the arts has so much power, so mm. so much influence, and the climate crisis is also just a crisis of connection as well, of connecting to nature, connecting to mm. our communities, and what a better way to like unite people than something that connects us all so deeply, which is the arts, and everyone consumes it in one way or another. Yeah. And so, two very cool things I've been involved in is or Climate Live which is a youth-led organization uniting music and climate. And last year we held events, concerts in 20 countries, which was incredible. Um, at Wireless Festival, we took a big pink solar-powered bus and had as like- you do. You know, <laughs> As you do. As you do. I mean, what, if you, if you have one. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. Use it. And if you don't, you better get one. If we have one, you, you know, you've got to use it. Yeah. <laughs> so we had artists on there and I spoke on there. We had different activists. And there was this one moment where the really cool artist at the end, uh, Louis Culture, um, so many people came in and were just dancing. And we had our big Climate Live bus. And I was like, this is so cool. This is something cool that we're doing. Um, that was amazing. And then also lately speaking at the Barbican mm-hmm. about how to unite the arts and climate I was like, these institutions here in London have so much cultural influence, so much power, and there has to be so much more focus on pushing for protecting our planet and not just creating new stories, but also highlighting the stories that are already out there. And I really think it could touch more people and move more hearts. You know what I love, what really struck me? First of all, I love, mm-hmm. you can't you can't see this listeners at home. Dominique <laughs> has an incredible smile. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, you. you. know, which <laughs> just so comes through when you talk about this, but um, is the idea that, that, especially with the concerts around the world, is that it's also not just coming from the West. It's like coming mm-hmm. from everywhere. Right. It's not colonial. Yeah. It's not like, yeah, it's like, oh, we important. will create mm-hmm. the art here. <laughs> and, and then we will it. disseminate it to all of you, wonderful, you know, people around the world. Exactly. But it's, it's, it's more, and I think that's kind of coming all the way back around. I think that's kind of what, for me, when you talk about community, when you talk about collective action, mm-hmm. is this idea that we can start to connect in a way mm. that's different than the power mm. relations that we have currently existing yeah. mm-hmm. and replace them. I mean, when I think about this kind of joy and imagination about the future, for me, it's about changing the power systems. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, yeah, that's something that we really were focused on doing and something that needs to be more of. It's like not being like, okay, here is these um, ideas, here's our narrative of what we're going to do here in the West and you guys need to do the same thing yeah, or we're going paste. to bring in, yeah, copy yeah. and paste or bring in like a couple of people or okay, here are some activists from Africa, we'll just put them on stage, speak for a bit <laughs> yeah. and then yeah. okay, we'll put them go. on the stage <laughs> and call it the African mm. stage yeah. and yeah. make it as if like, you know what I mean? Africa doesn't have it's, its own stage. It's yeah. just exactly. kind of like this, like, it, it's when you separate people. It's like when you yeah. do things and it's just like, oh, this is the women's part. Well, yeah. it's like, no, this is the everyone part. Yeah. Like, exactly. What it's like that tokenism instead of actually everyone being included. I think that's something that needs to be platformed a lot more is the diversity of people actually being involved in the creating and shaping of these entire events and what's going on. And just going off the fundamental principles that no one is voiceless. Yeah. So everyone says, we need to give a voice to the voiceless. And like, people are not voiceless. They're just not being listened to. Mm. I actually think, I don't want to say anything more after that. I think that is a perfect place for us to transition this conversation to our last segment. 
okay. which relates to something Dominic you said earlier about shattering the bubble of perfection. And now it's time for our climate confessions. Let's fess up to the bad habits we just can't kick. One thing, hmm, I I mean, recently I've been really into frappuccinos, um, <laughs> like <laughs> actually quite addictive, and I don't always remember my reusable like cold drink cup, so. A lot of fraps. So not exactly an ethical uh, company. We, can we, actually, this oh, is yeah. so interesting. Oh, yeah. Can we talk There's about this? Can we talk about this for a second? Because I've got actually, a points card. <laughs> I love iced coffee. Yeah. And that, as you'll see. Yeah, there's one here. Uh, there's one right here. But it drives me crazy mm. that when I go somewhere to get an iced coffee, I just mm. have all of this plastic. Yeah. It's not even they think, like, I, I know this is... This is a very small problem, but I just want to say that I have been thinking about this all summer and thinking about how I'm never going to this carry has been around. Weighing it's been on weighing my on me. It's been weighing on um, a while. About, like, can we. This is a call out to all you big and small coffee mm. companies. You had your paper cups with your recyclable paper mm. lids for the hot coffee, and you mm-hmm. helped us out because during the pandemic mm. we couldn't bring our own reusable coffee cups. Yeah. And to be honest, I don't like those coffee cups because I'm mm-hmm. going to spill it all everywhere in my yeah, bag. Yeah, yeah. No. Can you find us a solution, please? Because mm-hmm. because a, a pa- let me tell you, a paper straw in a plastic mm-hmm. cup when the the plastic oh. teeth. Cut into the straw. Everyone knows what I'm talking about, Listen. right? Yeah, I yeah. Do. Everyone knows. It's real life. It's man. real life, <laughs> and you're, suck, you're like trying to get that drink out, and it's going. It's not. Compliant. It's not working. No. So basically, this is a call out for a redesign mm. of something. <laughs> there needs to be one. That needs to happen. Redesign. <laughs> maybe collapsible coffee cups or something. something. <laughs> An unexpected but lively climate confession. Mm. Uh, Dominique, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us and chatting. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, Pleasure to. It was. I don't where I thought we'd go in the end with the coffee, where I get this off my chest. But I'm really happy. But I also think that um, being able to see kind of the journey that you've been on, mm. and this coming to this conclusion of like finding more joy and mm-hmm. connecting to that, and that being a way of like widening out to being more inclusive, yeah. I think is a really hopeful message for people who mm. might want to get involved or have just started or are trying to find their space. Is that mm-hmm. actually? thinking about what gives you joy and how do you bring that yeah. to to this fight or to this movement, I think is really a great message. Yeah, so important. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for joining us this week. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, please hit the follow button to make sure you get next week's release. We are now officially crowdsourcing Climate Confession, so please leave yours in the ratings and the review section and we'll shout out to you next time. A huge thank you to our headline partner, City, who has supported us for the past six years to bring world-changing ideas to the TEDx London stage and has championed Climate Curious since day one. And shout out to our fabulous team behind the pod. This episode was produced by Josie Coulter. Comms written by Tess Lowry. Artwork designed by Rebecca Mingus. Curation by Marion Pasha. Mixed and engineered by Ben Beheshti. Music also by Ben Beheshti. Presented by Ben Hurst and Marion Pasha. Remember, stay curious.